BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Michael Flynn today finds out how much time, if any, he will be spending in federal prison. Donald Trump this morning wishing him, wishing him good luck. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought he was a rat because he cooperated. Hmm. Well, maybe that was somebody else who was a rat. Uh, hard to keep it all straight here. Hello, everybody. What do you say? On a Tuesday. Tuesday. It is Tuesday December the 18th. Yes, indeed. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Uh, the Bill Press Show out there. <laughs> no, my little cheat sheet says December 1st. That's why I was thrown. And I thought, my God, it's the first day of December. <laughs> we're going backwards. Here we are. No, we're going forward to Christmas. Now It is uh, a week from, hey, week from today. That's right. How about it? All right. That means uh, only six more shopping days left. It's the Christmas. home stretch. <laughs> the home stretch, indeed. Lots and lots to talk about, as always. Uh, yes, indeed, we are uh, one day closer to a shutdown. Uh, but don't worry about it. The um, House of Representatives doesn't seem to be too concerned about it because they're out of town. They don't even come back until Wednesday night, until tomorrow night. And their deadline is midnight Friday. You can see how much they care about you and me and the country and the federal government and all the important uh, services that people do um, depend on, not to mention uh, the federal employees who depend on that paycheck, particularly right now at the holidays. So we'll bring up to date on all of the above and look forward to hearing from you. Your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, as always, best part of the show, hearing from you. We'll jump right into it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. You just mentioned Christmas is a week away, which means that the travel season, the holiday travel season, is in full gear. They count the holiday travel season this year starting Thursday of this week all the way through January 6th. Thursday. I'll be on a plane. You're going to be on a plane. Two planes. Well, here's the thing. 
during the travel season, again, which is from Thursday to January 6th, they anticipate the travel will be up more than 5% last year. TSA estimates that there will be 46 million people flying over the holidays. Yeah, so I if saw you didn't that. already have holiday anxiety, you might have it now. It's going to be hell. It's going to be pretty crazy, Bill. Lines are going to be long. Yeah, I know. You're flying on Thursday. Thursday's probably I think you're gonna one be of the all better right. days. I think right. you're going to be all right. Yeah. When are you flying back? January 1. Okay. But that's pretty good. I no, mean, I, I'm flying, flying on January 1st. Usually pretty great. Flying on, a holiday. on uh, ho- the holiday. The actual holiday. Is usually the secret. It's always pretty good. Yeah. It's always pretty Fly good. Fly on Thanksgiving, not the day before. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the Super Bowl is going to be in Atlanta, <laughs> Georgia this year. And it is rumored that Maroon 5 will be performing. But here's the problem they're having a really hard time getting yeah. other performers yeah. to play at the halftime show. This is something that the Super Bowl has done, the NFL has done in the last couple of years. Is they get one big performer, and then several other performers will sort of join them on stage. But they said that uh, for, most recently they had asked Rihanna if she wanted to play, and she said, no, absolutely not. And she cited the fact that the NFL, for what they did to Colin Kaepernick, and they're finding they're ha- having a really hard time getting other performers as well. So as of now, Maroon 5 isn't even confirmed. They're just like the rumored performers. But they're having a really hard time getting other local acts specific to Atlanta. Migos, Ludacris, they asked a couple of other rappers, Jermaine Dupree, and they said, no thanks. Yeah. No, we don't want to you be know, a part of that. Good for them. I wouldn't yeah. be part of that stinking outfit, the no, NFL. absolutely not. No, not. Legitimized, you know, uh, sexual assault. And again, and again, you know, in Atlanta, which is a hotbed, the birthplace for a lot of uh, modern hip hop, none of these artists want to play because they mentioned the Colin Kaepernick situation. (laughs) I love it. I love it. This is the Bill Press Show. One day closer to the shutdown, and it looks like that is what's going to happen as Donald Trump refuses to budge. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Here we are, the Bill Press Show on a big Tuesday, Tuesday, December 18. Hello, hello, hello. So good to see you today. And welcome, welcome to the Bill Press Show. We are coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. We are joining you everywhere. You name it. Little, little, every little town and village and suburb and big city in this country, even in the rangelands in the Wild West, we are there with you online, on the radio, on television, with all the news of the day. Thanks so much for being with us as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On the radio statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks, and Chicago. Hello, Chicago. Yeah, morning today. The death of two police officers last night in a freaky accident struck by a train. So sad right here. Any time of year right here, particularly at the holiday season. But hello, Chicago on WCPT and uh, on television joining you nationwide, coast to coast on Free Speech TV the one progressive television channel 24-7, the only uh, progressive 24-7 TV channel, cable channel in the country. Uh, Well, 
We got so much to talk about and a great team of people to help us through it. John Allen, national political reporter for NBC News, will be joining us on just a, about 20 minutes from now. Rebecca Lieber from the from Mother Jones covering environmental issues for Mother Jones to take a look at EPA's new water quality regulations and also uh, the departure of Ryan Zinke and what we can expect in his place. Alice Olstein line, uh, finishes it out. Uh, she's a health care reporter for Politico on what this latest judge's decision uh, ruling the ACA unconstitutional means, uh, how likely it would ever take effect, or will it be overturned? So we got that uh, great, great lineup. Um, I just want to start with a personal announcement. I just want all of you to know, uh, relax, right? I am going to be in California for the holidays, at least part of the holidays. I just want you to know, I have decided uh, I'm not going to take my surfboard with me this time. No? No. I saw yesterday 50-foot waves in Northern California. Okay? That's a little too big for me. Like, be five foot. Holy crap. Five, that, the, the monster, I forget what they call it now, but there's this monster annual surf contest in Half Moon Bay where they have the biggest waves all the time anyhow. They canceled it yesterday because the waves were too high. They're for, too big for the monster surfing thing. Right. And these are the pros that do monster surfing all over the world. Too big. Right. So I, I just decided I'm going to leave my surfboard home. Okay. so You can always body surf those. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah. Can you imagine? No, I can't. That sounds horrifying. Whoa. Crashing into that surf. All right. So anyhow, I know you, some of you might have been worried about that. I just want you <laughs> Or put your mind uh, mind at ease. Just yeah. go out there in like a, an inner tube or something. You just just float on it. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have uh, something else though, though that we can worry about here, which is the shutdown. It looks more and more likely. Uh, it is uh, totally unnecessary. Um, it is a temper tantrum, as Chuck Schumer keeps pointing out, that Donald Trump is throwing. Uh, Republicans uh, on the Hill don't want this. Um, of course, the Democrats are not going to vote for it uh, and not going to give him his money for his dumb wall. But, you know, what's happening here is Donald Trump has painted himself into a corner. He campaigned for president, promising that he was going to build this wall. Of course, it was all going to be, if you believed him then, it was going to be finished by now. It was going to be finished in the first month of his administration. Uh, not only that, Mexico was going to pay for it. So now the wall's still not built. This is his last chance with uh, Democrats taking over the control of the House in January, his last possible chance to get this funding for the wall, because, of course, now everybody understands that Mexico in no way, no how, is going to pay for it. Uh, so it's totally embarrassing for Donald Trump. He's got seven days left or 10 days left, maybe. Uh, he, he, he knows that the only possible chance, slim as it is, to get the wall uh, and so he's willing, proudly says he's willing to shut down the government if that's what it takes. You know what? He can shut down the government. He's still not going to get the funding for his wall. It's just not going to happen. Everybody knows that but him. Or maybe he knows it, but he's willing to accept it. But again, so Republicans on the Hill are trying to talk to the White House, to come up with a compromise plan, to come up with some agreement where he would sign something short-term just to keep the government going and promise that they will debate funding for the wall next year. 
Uh, that's what they want. Not sure that Donald Trump at this point will go along with it. It looks like at this point he will not go along with it, uh, which means, and by the way, we're talking, there's lots of par parts of the government, of course, uh, are exempted. The military is always exempted. Members of Congress, of course, are exempted. They're the ones. They're, th they're the ones who really should get their paychecks ripped instead of uh, the other federal employees. Um, but there are some 400, and just, just so you know, even with those exemptions, this, this would be a very costly shutdown. There are some 420,000 federal employees who will be not out of a job, but out of a paycheck. They may get paid retroactively, but they get no money at the holiday season. Um, they will be either on leave or working for nothing, depending on their job, 420,000. They include these agencies, the State Department, the Transportation Department, the Justice Department, Housing and Urban Development, the Department of Interior, the Department of Agriculture, the Treasury Department, the Commerce Department, and the Department of Homeland Security, with some exceptions like the Coast Guard's part of that or the Secret Services. Well, Secret Services is part of used to be part of Treasury. Maybe it's DHS now. But there are some exceptions in the Department of Homeland Security, TSA, for example. Uh, but otherwise, all the uh, DHS employees include as well. So um, this is uh, getting closer and closer. Again, the Senate is in session, but they're not dealing with this. The House didn't even come back yesterday, nor today, nor tomorrow. They come back tomorrow night. So they will have Thursday and Friday with the deadline at midnight Friday uh, to resolve this issue. But again, um, it's all up to one man. Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana yesterday uh, pointing out that, uh, and he, conservative, basically a Trumper, still says it's up to the White House and we don't know what the hell they're doing. If the White House has a plan, they're keeping it to themselves. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Doesn't that inspire confidence? Yeah, exactly. And uh, so he's a senator is going to have to vote on this. What does he know about the whole border fight? Number one, legal immigration is good for America. Number two, illegal immigration is illegal. Number three, border walls work. Number four, there's no way that uh, Mrs. Pelosi is going to agree to a single solitary dime for a border wall. Well, is that the sum of intelligence in the United States Senate? I think we've reached a uh, rock bottom. Uh, by the way, number three, border walls work. Baloney. He's just making it up. Show me one place where a border wall works, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, hasn't worked so well in Israel uh, to, to, to stop the problems over there. Uh, just just have made things have made things worse as we have seen lately. At any rate, they're going to have to deal with that. Who knows what's going to happen? My prediction right now is there will be a shutdown, sadly. And if it go, if, if they're saying that if they start this Friday, it will last until after the first of the year. So you're talking about maybe ten days of that. Um, boy, in the meantime, there are some um, new reports out about the extent of the Russian social media activity during the 2016 campaign, number one, how widespread it was. 
Uh, and number two, how it's continued since the campaign. Um, this is, these are reports that were put out, they were commissioned, rather, by the Senate Intelligence Committee that wanted to know, okay, let's just, we'll hire a couple of people to take a look and see how widespread was this Russian interference and meddling in the 2016 election. It was even wider than we thought and picking more targets than we thought. The headline in the New York Times this morning is, Russian election effort focused on influencing African-American vote. They made a particular effort to depress the African-American vote to keep African-Americans from coming out to vote, of course, for Hillary. But they went on, there, and they, they were active on every single social media platform. You name it, they were there. It wasn't just Facebook, and it wasn't just what uh, Twitter or whatever. They were everywhere. It's hard to, hard to escape them. And here's what I think one thing we didn't realize is, so first, their first effort in the 2016 election was to influence the election in order to influence the outcome of the election to help Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. Uh, since then, they were active during the transition to build up support for the president-elect, whom they helped elect, of course, Donald Trump. Uh, since then, they've been active in supporting the policies of Donald Trump. They're still out there, in other words. And not only that, they've been out there as part of the effort to discredit and undermine Robert Mueller. So they've been helping and still out there helping Donald Trump by putting fake news up and, and all, this, all this, these false stories up and these false rumors uh, to help again undermine uh, the credibility of the special counsel, Robert Mueller. Um, and let's remember that Donald Trump has still not even acknowledged that they're up to these games, but they're still playing these games. And you've got to keep coming back to the question, what does Vladimir Putin have over Donald Trump that they can continue this massive propaganda effort, this massive you know, subver subversive effort to undermine our democracy, and Donald Trump says nothing about it. Uh, but one of the reasons maybe is because he himself is the subject of so many investigations. We referenced this a little bit yesterday, but more has come out, in fact, on um, Wired, wired.com. Uh, reporter Garrett Graff did a great piece yesterday about the extent, remember we told you yesterday we talked about um, with Ryan Zinke's resignation, uh, how much corruption there is in the Trump administration, really like a gang of thieves, particularly among the cabinet. Uh, well, uh, that has triggered, that they and Donald Trump have triggered so many investigations, it's hard to keep track of them. Garrett Graff again on Wired, wired.com, uh, check it out, has done a great story identifying how many investigations are underway right now. These are investigations of the president of the United States and the people around him and every aspect of Donald Trump's life. Would you believe? 17. 17 different ones. These include investigations by the special counsel, Robert Mueller, of course, on the Russian government's uh, election attacks, on what WikiLeaks was up to, on Middle Eastern influence, Paul Manafort's activity, 
the Trump Tower Moscow project that Michael Cohen told us about, other campaign contacts with Russia, transition contacts with Russia, and obstruction of justice. That's all just Robert Mueller, seven known different investigations. There may be others we don't even know about. Uh, Then there are the investigations by the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, campaign conspiracy, the Trump Organization's finances, inauguration funding, Trump super PAC funding, foreign lobbying, all of that the U.S. Attorney for Southern New York. Then you've got the District of Columbia here uh, investigating the NRA and uh, Maria Butina and her contacts with the NRA, again, to help in collusion with, to help the Donald Trump campaign. The U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia is also involved, plus the Attorney Generals with their investigations of the Attorney Generals of New York City, New York State, and other state Attorney Generals. And again, these are, they add up to 17 that we know about. There could be investigations out there underway that we do not know about. Um, you know, here, here's the thing. Donald Trump is always bragging about how he's outdone Barack Obama. He's accomplished more than Barack Obama. Well, in this case, he's actually right. In fact, he's way ahead. In fact, Barack Obama doesn't even come close. The score is 17 to zip. 17 investigations for Do- underway surrounding Donald Trump. Zero for Barack Obama during his presidency. The contrast is so unbelievable. Uh, and uh, again, you just you get the feeling also when watching Donald Trump that uh, things are <clears throat> closing in on him. Uh, and of course, he keeps uh, lashing out, lashing out particularly at Michael Cohen. He thinks uh, he's called him a rat because he's cooperating with the U.S. attorney and cooperating with um, Robert Robert Mueller. Uh, isn't it interesting today that Michael Flynn, who is up to date, will be in court the court today to find out how much time, if any, he's going to serve in prison. The special prosecutor, Robert Mueller, has said he's cooperated so um, completely that they're recommending zero prison time for Michael Flynn. But Michael Flynn, like Michael Cohen, cooperated with Robert Mueller Donald Trump called Michael Cohen a rat. Today, this morning already, he has tweeted out to Michael Flynn saying, good luck, good luck, Michael. Basically, we hope you get no prison time. I, I, I don't quite get the difference between, if if one's a rat, the other's a rat. That's all I got. I, neither one are as far as I'm concerned. I, I just want to read Trump's yeah. uh, tweet from uh, less than an hour ago. Good luck today in court to General Michael Flynn. Will be interesting to see what he has to say. Despite tremendous pressure being put on him about Russian collusion and our great and obviously highly successful political campaign, there was no collusion. And again, we know Donald Trump wrote this because it's filled with weird capitalizations. Uh, uh, yeah. But again, it's like trying to send a message i think it's too late to send a message uh, it's, it to is michael too late flynn. it's da- yeah. it's absolutely too late too late to send a message to michael flynn right uh and he keeps saying of course every other when he breathes in and out right he's saying there was no collusion we don't know that yet by the way 
I, I think there clearly was collusion. I keep coming back to Donald Trump standing alongside Vladimir Putin in Helsinki. That was 45 minutes of collusion. We saw, we saw on television live uh, ourselves. Uh, James Comey, former director of the FBI, was on the Capitol Hill yesterday. Yet again, they lugged, uh, dragged him up there for another hearing behind closed doors. Um, he was asked about Donald Trump's comments calling um, Michael Cohen a rat and said, just think what that means for the president of the United States to be interfering in our justice system. It undermines the rule of law. This is the president of the United States calling a witness who has cooperated with his own Justice Department a rat. Say that again to yourself at home and remind yourself where we have ended up. Yes, indeed. Good point, James Comey. Uh, in terms of interfering in our justice system, you know, this is, we're going to hear more and more about this case. It's really kind of crazy. But yesterday, um, all right, so there's this Army officer named Matthew Goldstein. In 2010, he confessed to killing a man who was in custody, a man who was a bomb-killing suspect, uh, a member of the Taliban. Um, Matthew Goldstein, who had won a Silver Star, had his Silver Star yanked away from him by the Army. They did an investigation. Um, so the facts as we know them are that this suspect had been, had been taken into custody. He was suspected of planting uh, bombs that had killed U.S. soldiers. Uh, had not been tried yet or not been found guilty yet. While he was in custody, Major Goldstein killed him, burned his body in a trash dump, uh, later admitted shooting him, killing him, burning his body. The Army held hearings, found him guilty of murder, uh, and yet a couple of days ago, this story resurfaced somehow. Um, oh, I know how. Fox and Friends. Fox and Friends interviewed. So, but somehow Fox and Friends found out about it. Fox yeah, and yeah, Friends yeah, did yeah. a whole story. Donald Trump sees this story on Fox and Friends where they called him actually a hero because his story is, hey, don't blame me. I shot a and killed a terrorist. Yeah, again, not a terrorist in a field of battle. This was a terrorist who was in custody in a U.S. prison. It's like a prison guard who would shoot and kill a prisoner in one of our prisons in, on, on the United States soil and then say, hey, you know, he committed a crime, so I just shot and killed him, and that's okay. I did the world a favor. That's, that's Matthew Goldstein's story. Donald Trump sees his story on Fox and Friends, and he announces that he's going to personally, as commander-in-chief, intervene in this case, here's his tweet. At the request of many, I will be reviewing the case of a U.S. military hero, yeah. Major Matt Goldstein, who is charged with murder. He could face the death penalty from our own government after he admitted to killing a terrorist bomb maker while overseas. And then, of course, he made sure to tag both Fox, Fox News and, yeah. and Pete Hegseth, the guy who uh, was behind the interview uh, to, with Matt Goldstein. Or Goldstein, yeah. I mean, talk about troubling for the president of the United States to say, well, the Army may have found him guilty of murder, but I am personally going to get in there and conduct my own investigation and make, and make my own ruling. And I've talked to a couple of people about this. Because it was an Army court, 
I mean, at least some people are saying that as commander in chief, he could overrule, personally overrule, uh, and and reverse this guy's guilty uh, guilty um, verdict. Uh, boy, talk about believing that you uh, are above the law or that you are the law. That's really the way Donald Trump, I think, believes that, that the, what the presidency is all about. Uh, I want to shift now to New York State. Oh, my God. Suddenly, Andrew Cuomo <laughs> is coming out of the closet almost as the progressive that we always wish that he would have been and never was. But he gave a big talk yesterday in uh, outlining his goals for 2019 for the state of New York. And his number one goal is to legalize recreational marijuana He's one of the guys who's called it a gateway drug for his entire political life. Yeah. So I guess what we really should say is thank you, Cynthia Nixon. Yeah. Thank you, Cynthia Nixon, for running against him and waking him up, that there's a lot of people out there, the progressive ideas are sweeping the Democratic Party, sweeping the nation, and you'd better get on board, Buster. Look, I mean, there's something to be said about these candidates that take on an establishment centrist Democrat and push yeah. them in the right direction, getting them yeah. back to where the Democratic Party it, should absolutely be. Yeah. And it's not just the legalization of marijuana. No, there's a, the, whole, there's a whole list of very progressive issues that he's taking yeah. on. By the way, on that issue, he even opposed medical marijuana. Yeah. I mean, no, he was just, he was really, really, you know, about as hardcore as you could get against marijuana. Other things that he said yesterday the, are his, his priorities for 2019, combating climate change. Protecting undocumented immigrants. Wait, get this. Repeating, so, in, no, introduction of automatic voter registration, voting by mail, and early voting. New York, as big a state as it is, he is always opposed yeah. early voting in New York. Yeah, which is nuts. No. And so, he also wants to make Election Day a state holiday. Yeah, yes, yes. Like, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. These are great. These are good things. He is, but. Where the hell have you been all your life, right? So it's just it's just amazing uh, to see Mario Cuomo, um, or Mario, I'm sorry, Andrew Cuomo, uh, come forward. Uh, good for him. Just a um, uh, a little bit late uh, to the feast, right? Um, and I guess I guess we have to uh, end this little segment here with a uh, oh my, isn't it sad? Poor Les Moonves. Yeah. Yesterday was a pretty costly day for him. Yeah, $120 million. Served him right, the pig. <laughs> yeah. CBS News, they did their investigation, and they said, yeah, this guy was as bad as all these women said for that many years. And not only that, you know, so he all this sexual harassment, sexual assault for so many years, they he denied it all. And then when they did their investigation, he they found out that he lied to them uh, and so they said the CBS board said they were well within his rights to fire him, not just accept his resignation, to fire him and to strip him from the $120 million parachute that he otherwise would have taken with him. Yeah. These guys always yes. get those, yes. those severance I know. packages. I know. Always, always, always. All, yeah. They leave and everybody feels sorry, but then they, they walk out with all that cash. Not Lester Moonves. Right. Good. I hope he's panhandling on the streets of Manhattan tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boy, so much. Oh, we're just getting started. So much more to talk about today. And uh, we'll do that starting off with John Allen. 
national political reporter for NBC News. Coming up next, we'll take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. And on this Tuesday, December 18, uh, the Bill Press Show, as we come to you live from our nation's capital, brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, the good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox. They are on the front lines. They will be the first ones impacted if there is a government shutdown, which looks more and more likely at the end of this week. Check out their website to find out more about how this uh, shutdown will hurt them and hurt the American people and uh, really slow down the delivery of services that we depend on. Check out their website for all of that at afge.org. Join me in welcoming to the studio national, our good friend and national political reporter for NBC News, the one and only John Allen. John, good to see you. It's good to see you, Bill. We have a lot to talk about. I mean, there's so much. Uh, Lamar Alexander is not running. Lamar. Lamar. Exclamation point. Oh, I'm sorry. Because yes. he always had that in his campaign. Lamar Alexander. Yeah. Very exciting. What's man. it mean? Just one guy is just tired of it all, throwing it in? or Well, you know, he's, he survived a Tea Party challenge in 2014, so there may have been some concern about uh, getting a primary in 2020, uh, particularly because he supported comprehensive immigration reform, which is the kind of issue that can become a single issue in a Republican primary. He's yeah. 78 years old, so if he got elected to another term, he would be 86 at the end of that term. And he's been in government service for a long time, two-term governor of uh, Tennessee. He was yeah. education yeah. secretary, ran for right. president a couple times. I mean, he's you know maybe he's done enough, and, and you know, the prospect of— uh, of potentially losing, um, you know, I think probably makes it makes it all the he's lovelier been, to leave. He's been a good public servant, and you know, for a Republican, not a bad U.S. senator. You uh, know, there's no one who but, during his Senate time has had a real problem with him, except for maybe Trent Lott, who uh, who ran against him and beat him for whip mm-hmm. uh, in the Republican conference. Remember, after Trent Lott got deposed. Yeah, he came back and ran a whip race against Alexander, and I think he won by one vote. Oh wow, I'd forgotten that. Um, does this mean the potential of a Democratic pickup in Tennessee? I mean, almost the last time, right, with Phil Bradenson. But I mean, you never want to say never in Senate races, but uh, Marshall Blackburn just won by yeah. eleven points after Phil Bredesen was heavily recruited um, yeah. in a heavily Democratic year. Uh, next mm-hmm. time, presumably Donald Trump is on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And that's helpful for the Republican in Tennessee. I say presumably because, you know, two years is yeah. 17,000 lifetimes in the span of the Donald <laughs> Trump presidency. All right. So we saw the first poll, believe it or not, out of Hakimbo, out of Iowa. Uh, we're still going to be saddled with the Iowa caucuses, unfortunately. Biden, 32. Bernie Sanders, 19. Beto O'Rourke, 11. I mean, we all know what that means. Beto O'Rourke is the most exciting candidate in the Democratic field, right? I mean, here's a guy who's a member of the House of Representatives. One House member ever has been directly elected president. That's James Garfield. From Ohio. Right. Uh, Beto O'Rourke, of course, would not be directly elected because he will be out of a job come January. Uh, so maybe more like Lincoln in uh, yeah. <laughs> serving a House term. And then, but, uh, look, to be in double digits— for a, a House member is is pretty astounding at this point in the Iowa caucus uh, state uh, mix there. I think if you're Joe Biden, you don't 
you're not you're not upset by the position you're in, but you're not in love with it either. Is 33% in Iowa, uh, you know, a starting point or is it a ceiling? Everybody knows Joe Biden. But yeah, it also some people are also saying this just proves that uh, with all this huge field that nobody's going to be able to stop Joe Biden. That he's just more popular, better. Pardon me, better known, more popular, been around longer than anybody else. Well, look, there's certainly an argument to be made that the Democratic primary this time could look like the 2016 Republican primary in in that if well, you have a 30 percent base or a 35 percent base, you, you can run away with it. Um, that said, the Democratic primaries are slower to unfold uh, because of the proportional allocation of delegates. So there will be a lot of time for Democrats to think about what they're doing before they vote. Um, and maybe, so maybe that means they love Joe Biden, they go for him. By the way, it still remains to be seen whether Biden runs. Uh, you know, I'm in the camp of they're all running until they're not running. Mm-hmm. And I still question whether or not he actually uh, pulls the trigger on this thing yeah. for a variety of reasons, uh, including some of the family stuff. I mean, you know, there's the, I think there are storylines there that some people in his family would not like to have. Uh, I know what you're ta- about yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, and there were family considerations, obviously, the last time, too. I th- I encouraged him to. I thought he should have run in 2016. I still believe if he had run, he would have been the nominee. He'd be the president of the United States today. But that's 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 if, 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 right? Um, now, so here's what I'm more excited about. I, can't, I wanted to you talk love, you about. You love it when everyone runs. Oh, or, yeah. Except yeah. for except for <laughs> the occasional candidate. You, you encourage people to I, run. I love primaries, absolutely. But here's what I'm excited about with Iowa is that Iowa is going to automatically lose some of its fire this year because the Iowa Iowa caucuses are February 3rd. The California primary is March 3rd. So they're not going to be able to – Iowa will not be able to get all the attention, all the money, all the time. People are going to have to be focused on – not just California. I I wrote them down. There are – Well, California early votes. That's what it, yeah. So the voting will start before on on February third. The the early vote starts, but in addition to California, on March third, um, Texas, Vermont, Massachusetts, Virginia, and North Carolina. So people are moving them up to take some of the fire away from Iowa. Um, that changes the equation, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, look first. First of all, California and Texas. This may come as a surprise to some people in this country, but these are hugely heavily Latino populated states, um, you know, that yeah. are moving to, to the forefront of the primary calendar, which reflects the growing Latino population in in the country and also uh, within the Democratic Party. And so that'll be interesting because it'll be the first time you really see that, uh, you know, moving to, to the front of the calendar in such a huge way. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure exactly what Texas's African-American population is, but California is actually pretty small. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how that changes the dynamics. All of these candidates who want to compete in those March 3rd states are going to have to start spending money in them well before then. To and, your point. And, and they're expensive states, too, right? right. Yeah. I mean, right. how does anybody run in California? Typically, they run air wars. Right, you run a Senate race sure. there. You raise fifty million, hundred million dollars, whatever, and you just yeah. advertise on television. But if you're trying to win a Democratic primary, you got to do some level of field organizing. But you know, we in California have been ignored until because the primary is usually like in June, right? Nobody pays any attention to California, uh, and to, but now they're going to have to because it's just a month after Iowa. So California is going to get some love and some attention early. 
Are you talking uh, about 400 to 500 delegates in the state of California? Now, they're not winner-take-all, so they split at some level. But if anyone can dominate that field, they will walk out of there with a huge pad. And by the way, not that hard to dominate the field. If you Say if you're a Kamala Harris, you don't have to win uh, you know, a whole, whole big vote in a multi-candidate field to walk out of there with you know, maybe 75, 100, 125 delegates more than the next person. Right. And you mentioned, so in Kamala Harris, she's one of four people from California that are talking about running. It's Kamala, uh, Eric Eric Garcetti, Eric Swalwell, the congressman, and Tom Steyer. Right. <laughs> Who does have the money to buy the uh, the exposure that he might need in California. And, and his so, impeachment message might play better uh, with California Democrats than it does with Democrats in some other yeah, parts of the yeah. country. So I just think that fi- finally there's uh, going to be a little competition to Iowa and New Hampshire, for that matter. Um, uh, I forget when the New Hampshire primary is, but it's, it's usually, usually a, couple, a week after. A week Iowa, after, yeah, right. Roughly. Yeah, so it's going to be a different, uh, I think, a totally uh, – a uh, different different dynamic. Um, lead story in the New York Times this morning, and you've been writing about it too, the extent of the Russian efforts to undermine the election and efforts that have continued on social media platforms since the election through the transition into the presidency of Donald Trump, even some of it aimed at undermining Robert Mueller. What have you, dis- what have you been... I mean, it's it's really amazing. I mean, the you know the Russian efforts to sow discord in our society, uh, not just on an electoral level, but uh, but you know more broadly than that too, um, specific to elections and more broadly than yeah. that, um, and often based and targeted toward uh, communities of color, toward uh, toward creating animosity toward communities of color for uh, for white people who are inclined to you know be persuaded to to be like that, and also. Uh, targeting voter suppression efforts at, at communities of color. Uh, this morning, I reported that uh, that Facebook's Cheryl Sanders uh, said in a post uh, on Facebook at, at 7 a.m. this morning uh, that we need to do more. Um, that they are uh, invested in uh, trying to do better with civil rights. Duh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, well, look, she doesn't speak publicly that often, so you know, somewhat newsworthy that. This is the response. Now, actually, they, yeah. they hired a woman named Laura Murphy, who used to be the head of the Washington office of the ACLU, uh, to do an audit on how they were doing with civil rights issues um, several months ago. And so today, uh, Murphy released a report or is releasing a report uh, on how Facebook is doing. Sandberg's comments were in conjunction with that and basically saying, look, this is what we've done to try to deal with the targeting of minority voters. This is what we tried to deal do. Uh, to deal with you know diversity in the workplace and, and various other issues related to civil rights, uh, and uh, and I you know because it's happening in the shadow of these Senate uh, reports mm-hmm. that came out yesterday, it is Facebook's response, which yeah. is we're we're doing something, and we need to do more. Uh, and at some point, you know, I look I, just judging from my Twitter feed after I reported that this morning. <laughs> Um, you know, I think there are a lot of people that have had it with Facebook and th- that yeah. aren't listening to that. Right. Uh, I, Facebook, they seem for as smart as they are and as much money as they have, they really seem to be playing catch up and they can't get ahead of the story. And know? interestingly, the audit uh, says that Facebook was slow to recognize what was going on with the Internet Research Agency, which was basically, uh, you know, using Facebook for these ads targeting minority voters. Uh, and has been slow to implement some of the fixes. Well, but it's and we we talk about Facebook, but 
as the Times reports, they were active on every single social media platform, right? Right. It's the not Russian. just Facebook. I mean, I mean yeah, it's across they the were board. Across the board. And it's important to remember that. And by the way, it's also important to remember that the uh, so there are no controls anywhere that these guys right? were aware of it. By the way, I don't know if you guys. That, saw- I mean, all these social media companies were they aware. They were of aware of when, when, uh, where, where the money was coming from? They were aware that they were being used for this purpose. When Amy and I did uh, did report, Amy uh, Parnes and I did reporting mm-hmm. for Shattered, uh, you know, one of the things that we uh, came across, and I, I honestly can't remember if it ended up the book or not, but there was the, the Clinton folks figured out that some of this stuff was going on, and they went to the people that they knew at these companies and were like, hey, you got you got to do something about this. And Nothing happened. Nothing happened. I don't know if you saw this yesterday. Walt Mossberg, who is one of the best-known tech reporters uh, in the industry, he's been covering tech for a long, long time, he tweeted uh, that he has decided to quit Facebook altogether at the end of the year. He's been on Facebook for 12 years, and he says, quote, because my own values and the policies and actions of Facebook have diverged to the point where I am no longer comfortable there, is how he tweeted it. And and there is uh, a great podcast which was just an audio rip of uh frontline a frontline show frontline Wait, did he tweet that he tweeted that oh please yeah no no i know <laughs> I I, mean, look, on look, twitter yeah look there's there's something to be said about how bad twitter is too right but that, <laughs> i mean that, i'm not taking sides uh, you sure. know against twitter the company but i mean if you're looking for cesspools of hate yeah like twitter's open expression over the okay. years has been uh arguably uh a, a, a sessier pool than yeah Facebook's. Twitter is not much better. Good point. But no, but the right. Frontline did a great sh- uh, show about the Facebook dilemma is what it's called, and it's all about how Facebook knew, they knew that your personal data was being collected. They were running all sorts of kind of social experiments on Facebook that dealt with the information that you had given them, and that people raised privacy concerns multiple steps along the way. And Facebook just sort of said, we'll figure that out when we get to it. But, uh, you know, I mean, he's... And now they're being forced to get to it. But Mossberg's shocked. He's shocked. I mean, come on. Since the first caveman figured out that, uh, you know, that his uh, his hoe could be used to kill uh, <laughs> to kill his neighbor, like, we've known that tools are weapons. And, you know, these technology tools that we use are also weaponizable against other people, against ourselves, you know, against us. Yeah. Uh, like so, you're surprised to find out Facebook is collecting your data, really? So, I mean, it seems we keep hearing more and more about this, the extent of the effort, ongoing efforts, uh, even undermining the credibility, trying to undermine the credibility of, of Robert Mueller, you know, helping Donald Trump now that he's in the White House. I guess, is this just, we just accept this? Nobody seems to... Yeah, there was a Senate hearing. They didn't end up doing anything. House hearing didn't end up doing anything. I mean, look. It, it, what do we do? I'm I'm surprised that uh, nobody in our government seems to be taking these as acts of war by the Russians. Tampered with our elections. Right. They are sowing discord among our population. Like, why, why you know, I don't know what the response is to, uh, to regarding these as acts of war, but, you know, maybe it's something, you know, akin to... I think it's more serious, but something akin to, you know, uh, impressing one of your ships or something. I mean, it's not a yeah. full-blown invasion kind of war, but yeah. these are acts of war. These are recognizable acts of war. And, uh, you know, I don't hear anybody talking about them like that because it seems, I think because it seems uh, so unmanageably big to think about it in those terms. What does that mean? What are the consequences and implications 
of Russia waging a cyber war on us. Yeah. Well, you know, we know that Obama did not publicly do anything about this. Privately, supposedly, he talked to Putin and said, knock it off. But he didn't, for his own reasons, want to publicly make an issue of this. Now Donald Trump doesn't want to do it for his own reasons, different from Obama's, right? And so... And so we're letting the Russians do yeah. whatever the heck they yeah. want. Yeah, that's my point. I and mean, if and if we're doing anything, it's so quiet that nobody would know. Nobody wouldn't know. And and therefore and the, has no deterrent effect on, every, on anybody uh, else. And the Russians would not care. Um, I want to come back to Joe Biden <laughs> for a second here because – and Bernie Sanders and the Iowa thing because one thing I forgot to ask you about. So um, anecdotal. But in my little world of my friends and people that I've talked to in the last – three or four days, I can't tell you how many times, anytime 2020 comes up, the name that I hear now over and over and over and over is Sherrod Brown. Oh, I thought you were going to say Michael Avenatti. Uh, <laughs> well, that was before he decided he was not going to run. Uh, Sherrod Brown is taking off like a rocket. That's my little poll. Well, Do you find the same thing? And is it real? I think, look, the challenge for Sherrod Brown is meeting people and getting out there uh, and getting exposed to activists on the left who aren't already familiar with him. Um, another challenge for him is getting exposed beyond the white activist community. And I think in Ohio, he's very well known among communities of color, but on a national yeah. level, getting better known. Um, he is a progressive and a populist progressive in a different way than a Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren, who I think... Uh, really sort of get the the sort of head of the progressive populist. They're making intellectual, cerebral arguments. And uh, Sherrod Brown went to Yale. He's a smart guy. I don't mean to diminish that. But he gets people on a gut level. Uh, and so, you know, his, his sort of innate responses to things are naturally in that space. Uh, he's a guy who won the state of Ohio with, uh, I think, by about six points in this last election mm -hmm. and went for Trump by 10 points in the presidential uh, he's been able to uh, basically maintain the last Democratic statewide outpost there for uh, the last, what is it, since 2006, so the last, I can't count anymore, 12 yeah. years. Um, I, I think he's an interesting uh, potential candidate. Uh, I thought he would have been Hillary Clinton's strongest running mate in 2016. Amen. Uh, she didn't choose him, um, in part because uh, – John Kasich, the governor of Ohio, would have selected his replacement. It would have been a Republican senator. Seems like bad reasoning if <laughs> if it would have uh, yeah. made a difference. And vice presidents <laughs> don't usually make a difference. But 70,000 votes, 80,000 votes in Pennsylvania, exactly. Michigan, and Wisconsin. And that's, that's, his, that's his territory. That's where he would have campaigned as she did not. No, one of her big mistakes. But what I hear about uh, uh, Sherrod Brown is uh, or, you know, people, some, some, some ver version on the theme. Just as progressive as Bernie, but not as grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, he's, he doesn't seem to be angry about. It. I mean, he's he's got like a he's got like union hall outrage, right? I mean, he's, yeah, he, he can yeah. get up on a you know get up at the stump and 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 be upset about but things on a personal level. He's just no, no, more no. accessible and more friendly. Than, no, he's you know, no, he's a, I mean, so. any any anybody who's ever dealt with him in the Capitol will tell you like he's very extraordinarily accessible, like very easy to talk to. I. I think he's just like uh, I think he naturally likes people, which you know usually translates well in political campaigns. Uh, you're a Republican and looking toward ahead toward 2020, Democrats taking over the House, um, and then you've got two factors you have to deal with. The Republic, it seems to me, one is this latest decision to um, by a judge 
to um, rule the Affordable Care Act unconstitutional, which now Republicans have to deal with, and either accept that it's going to go away or try to come up with a replacement, which they haven't yet in two years. Well, there's a, num- there's, by the way, there's a problem with that. Well, let me just uh-huh, yeah. That's one factor. And the other factor is a member, the president of your party, who wants to shut the government down. I mean... Two, two things that Republicans would rather not have to deal with, right? Go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the president uh, has been saying for a long time that he wants to shut the government down to get a border wall. It's it's phrased like that sometimes. Other times in slightly different ways, but basically that's what he yeah. wants to do. Well, yeah, so proudly. If, he he do, if the government he doesn't... doesn't shut down, it's because he capitulated uh, to all the Republicans telling him that he has a terrible strategy. And by the way, he's losing on immigration. He doesn't have a wall. He has not rewritten legal immigration laws has not rewritten illegal immigration laws. He just got trounced in a midterm in which he made immigration the sort of key core ingredient of uh, the campaign for for Republicans. There is no place on immigration that he is winning except for sending troops to the border. There's no deterrent effect. We're seeing more apprehensions, which suggests that we're seeing more people crossing the border. Well, Stephen Miller still believes him. You know, I, I, I will give Stephen Miller this. He was the only administration official who started his response to the death of the seven-year-old girl in uh, U.S. care with, uh, this is a tragedy. Everybody else started talking about how people oh, shouldn't be, shouldn't be upset making the trek. Yeah. Well, how, how you know the immigrants should be making the trek. At least Miller, who finally got to that point when he was on CBS this weekend, started with, you know, this is a horrible tragedy and our hearts break. I was like... It shouldn't be that hard to come to that talking point. <laughs> right. um, and as far as uh, as far as the Affordable Care Act goes and pre-existing conditions, you know, uh, there's there's a problem with the pre-existing conditions guarantee, which is that you have to pay for it. It costs money. So either the insurance companies are going to foot the bill for that, or taxpayers are going to f- foot the bill for that through uh, you know the individual mandate was the plan to do it before. But right. if you tear it asunder. And the Republicans ran into this problem before. There's no way to guarantee uh, that pre-existing conditions will be covered um, unless there's some big sort of cash nut there. I mean, I think they were better off talking about how we're going to repeal Obamacare and not being able to do it than having a judge, in effect, cancel out and veto the entire program. If that holds, they're stuck with Nothing. They had no plan. Donald right. Trump I mean, keeps I, saying, oh, we're going to have a beautiful, beautiful health care. I know we're going to do something very beautiful. He's been saying that for three years. And the, I mean, the problem for for the problem for the anti-Obamacare crowd is uh, not that Obamacare is working perfectly and not that it has held premiums down or done all the things that the pre- that President Obama promised, because it certainly hasn't. But I think the big problem for them is that Everybody in the country who isn't a multimillionaire, and maybe I should just, like Bernie Sanders start talking about billionaires instead of millionaires, <laughs> but everybody who isn't phenomenally wealthy understands that they're one uh, medical disaster away from bankruptcy yeah, uh, if they don't have health insurance. And so the pre-existing condition stuff is is a huge component of that because almost all of us, if we were off insurance for yeah, any period yeah. of time, would qualify as having a pre Pre, pre-existing condition. Right. Um, and so it costs a lot of money. I I do wonder if there's some common ground between Trump, who's not really a conservative Republican, uh, and the Democrats in, in terms of maybe finding a way to uh, screw the insurance companies well, to pay for it. Well, you know, I, I, I don't mean to be taking entirely the Democratic side here, but they've always said 
look, we know Obamacare is not perfect. We'll work with you to fix it. Let's fix it rather than scuttle it and then start from scratch all over again. It would be interesting to see if they would have voted for anything that would have been a, a fix. Uh, 15 seconds. We're going to have a shutdown by the end of the week? I think so. I do too. Yeah. Because I think Donald Trump's just not going to budge. Right? No capitulation. <laughs> no, indeed. He wants to go to Mar-a-Lago. Uh, John Allen, it's great to see you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. You too. Okay, enjoy, enjoy. Uh, and we will take a quick break. Come back with a second hour, starting with Rebecca Lieber from Mother this Jones. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It's a moment of truth today for Michael Flynn uh, stepping into court to find out how much time, if any, he'll be spending in federal prison. The special counsel recommending no prison time. And Donald Trump this morning wishing him good luck. What do you say? Hello, everybody, on a Tuesday, December 18. Here we go. The Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. Thanks so much for being with us as we take you through the uh, headlines of the day, the news of the day, uh, with uh, our own guests and our own political analysis and your comments. Always welcome. Love hearing from you on Twitter, at BP Show. Some of the big stories we're following, of course, we are one day closer to a government shutdown with... um, no really light at the end of the tunnel at all in sight. The House isn't even in town. Uh, they don't come back until tomorrow night. They've got until Friday night uh, to come up with some compromise to keep the government running or else there will be a shutdown, which uh, Donald Trump says over and over again he wants unless he gets all of the $5 billion he wants for the wall. Um, also, um, the the, uh, the total number of investigations now Thanks to Wired, we know, underway on Donald Trump and all of his various operations and cabinet members, whatever, amounts to 17, 17 different criminal civil investigations into the Trump umpire, empire rather, now uh, underway. And the Dow yesterday in response to Trump, anom- uh, Trump economics crashing 508 points. Meanwhile, uh, Ryan Zinke about to ride off into the sunset. Uh, what can we expect to have changes at Interior Department and what happens now to Ryan Zinke? Rebecca Lieber covers environmental issues for Mother Jones stepping in the studio this morning. Rebecca, it's good to see you. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, I got your name right, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Okay. All right, thank you. Uh, I, <clears throat> that's at least we can do with yes. our guests. <laughs> right. uh, otherwise, we treat the, try to treat them nicely as well. Uh, anyhow, your comments on Twitter are always welcome uh, at BP Show. Rebecca and I dive right into the environmental politics of the day. But first, 
This is the Full Court Peter. Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. Here is a very sad story. Gun deaths in the United States are at their highest level in almost 40 years. Really? The numbers were released from the Centers Ooh. for Disease Control. Now, this took a look at the year of 2017 and showed that now gun deaths are more prevalent than auto deaths. People who die in, auto, in car crashes are fewer than those that die by gun deaths. Is that just absolutely, sh- I mean, it shouldn't no. be shocking, but it's just terrifying. Uh, also, this number coming out from the CDC, which is prohibited by federal law yep. from studying whether gun uh, guns are a public health issue. There were 40,000 deaths in the United States by gunshot wound in 2017. Mm. 40. Mm. Now, 23,000, almost 24,000 of those were ruled a suicide. 14,500 were murders. So think about that next time you hear somebody talk about gun control and gun safety. We're now at a 40-year high for gun deaths in this country. But, yeah, but the suicides, right, were still as a result of Guns. easy accessibility yeah, absolutely. to a gun. No, absolutely. It's worth pointing that out. Uh, let's go to New Jersey where, I, you know, I love do, these. Uh, no, do we have to? I don't uh, yes. like New Jersey. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I actually, you're going to like this story. Not I love from Delaware. Yeah, we don't like New Jersey. I know. I right. know. But if this happened in Delaware, I'd do the story all too. All right, okay. An armored Brinks truck accidentally uh-huh. scattered money all over the highway in oh. northern New Jersey. This happens like once a year, and no, I, I always like love Jersey. when it happens. <laughs> it actually caused multiple crashes because people were <laughs> stopping, swerving. They wanted to get out, and they wanted to get some yes. of that money. But they said that the police got several calls saying accidents, and people who gathered up the money, a lot of them said they just want to give the money back. Not you, Peter. But absolutely not. You, you, you want to hop into your car, man, and take I, it I'll off head so fast? for the hills. <laughs> Bye. How much? This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, 17. Count them. 17 investigations of Donald Trump and Associates Enterprises all underway at the same time. Boy, he's uh, that's one area where he's way ahead of Barack Obama. <laughs> there was zero under Barack Obama. 17 underway now at the same time, according to Wired magazine in the Donald Trump uh, uh, world. Hello, everybody. Here we go on a Tuesday, December 18. Great to see you today, and thanks for being part of the program, The Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. We are your source for what's going on every day, not only here in Washington, both at the Cap- on Capitol Hill, at the, in the Congress, and down at the White House, but also what's going on around the country and around the globe as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Join you also on Free Speech TV and on the radio out in Chicago in the greater Chicago area on the one and only big progressive foghorn of Chicago, WCPT. Thanks so much for being with us uh, and uh, say hello to Rebecca Lieber from Mother Jones covering environmental politics and policy. Uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming back in. Um, So Ryan Zinke is out as of when? 
end of the year? As of, oh, just uh, they're supposed to announce his replacement this week. So, uh, yeah, soon he's he's saying goodbye. Okay, so my first question is, is he going to ride his horse uh, away from the uh, Interior Department on his last day in office the way he rode his horse across town on his first day? Yeah, he made uh, quite an impression his first day. I'm not sure uh, he plans quite as grand of an exit, but uh, throughout his time at Interior, there's been... Rumors, just like there were with Pruitt, that he wanted to run for office in Montana uh, when he left Interior. So that's unclear given all the investigations. But uh, I wonder how he'll make a splash on his way out. Well, I I would think that given uh, questions about the land deal in Montana um, that were largely responsible for his uh, having to leave office, that his chances of running for office in Montana... I mean, he was a congressman from Montana, but for running for higher office would be yeah, he's somewhat not, he's not reduced too right now. There. Huh? Yeah, um, that plus the uh, it, there were some really interesting um, lands and monuments developments where uh, he seemed to be doing favors for Montana uh, while while giving away public lands throughout the country. So um, yeah, he's probably not too popular in Montana. So uh, it it seems not like a great idea to work for the Trump administration if you want a future political career. Uh, is he the worst interior secretary we've ever had? Oh, wow. Um, he's definitely taken it to the most ex- the, uh, the extreme in a way. And I think when you look at the environmental legacy of the Trump administration across the board, it, they're doing things that go much further than Reagan went on. And um, yeah, interior has uh, been touting this massive public lands giveaway um, and with massive implications for the public. So, uh, yeah, he's he's definitely a strong contender for the title. I mean, yeah, I always thought it was James Watt who was the famously Ronald Reagan's disastrous interior secretary. But I think I think Sinke's worse, more of a true believer. I mean, um, Reagan, with all of his rhetoric, uh, and that certainly was not a priority of his. I mean, they didn't they didn't, there was not a full-scale onslaught in, on the environment, which we've seen under Donald Trump, both at EPA at, and at Interior. Right. There was a report out from the Senate just yesterday tallying 114 actions against the environment in the first 23 months of the Trump administration, uh, which averages about one a week. 114 assaults on environmental regulations? Yeah, so that includes Interior, EPA, and a bunch of other agencies, but primarily their vehicle are those two departments. Now, these are, for the most part, uh, rollback of regulations, correct? Not new legislation or a combination of both? Um, Well, it's definitely not new legislation except for the Congressional Review Acts where they were trying to throw out Mm -hmm. uh, what Obama Mm -hmm. did. But, uh, yeah, most of it's rollbacks of uh, what Obama did. But in a few cases, and we're seeing this now at the EPA, they are targeting uh, rules that were on the books far before Obama. So um, Waters of the U.S. um, Mm -hmm. was a big one that the EPA just announced it's it's throwing out both a George Bush regulation and an Obama regulation at the same time, deregulating water ways at a level that we have not seen ever since the passage of the Clean Water Act. Um, so it's, yeah, it's certainly, it's the most extreme assault on the environment that we've seen in the modern politics of the U.S. Well, 
I've heard Donald Trump say at least a dozen times, clean water, clean water, clean water. I mean, and you would think that with all the uh, the controversy over some environmental issues, uh, if we're talking fracking, for example, or climate change, that we sort of had, I thought we'd sort of resolved that everybody was for clean water and everybody was for clean air, right? Um, clean air, not so much with all the coal <laughs> stuff, but certainly clean drink, clean water, drinking water. So, what is this about? Where is EPA going, and what are they, and what are they undoing, and what would be the impact of it? Yeah, you, you, water is a really popular political talking point, which is why Trump probably repeats it, that he's for it. But of course, yeah. his actions don't uh, hold up at all. So, so what are they trying to do? Um, the EPA with, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that they've they've attacked uh, idea and concept of clean water. But the most recent most action recent, yeah. was um, taking aim at the clean water rule under the Obama administration. The EPA um, basically has to um, set uh, a definition for what the federal government can uh, regulate under the Clean Water Act. So uh, the Clean Water Rule essentially defined what what do we count as uh, something that is subject to Clean Water Act regulations, which across the board, it affects many industries. Uh-huh. And Trump uh, Trump's argument, which has taken it to the logical extreme, is that anything that's not a major waterway, so a major river, um, and stream doesn't count um, as subject to federal re- regulation. So that means um, exempting millions of acres of um, of wetlands, of streams that do impact our water supply. Um, there is a crazy stat that one in or third feeders, Americans... feeder streams, right? Or, yeah. Or, and, or canals and, or whatever. And I mean, one in third Americans get their water from <laughs> waterways that rely on these, these feeder... Uh, streams mm. and wetlands, mm. and it certainly it has huge implications for water quality for so many people. Um, and there's a lot of concern. They just proposed their draft rule. They have to finalize it, but there's so much concern from the environmental community that this is going to degrade water quality for millions of Americans. So they would take uh, exempt, I guess, facilities, whether they're factories or power plants or municipalities, whatever, that are on a certain smaller size streams or waterways? Right. They would, um, basically, they would be subject to state state oversight, which we know varies widely across the country. But not to federal. Um, And also doesn't have the same enforcement budget that the federal government does. So what is the rationale for, for, uh, for, you know, giving this wholesale kind of, Free pass. Well, uh, one it's of the cost, biggest it's proponents. It's too expensive, they say. Probably yeah, for the Trump administration, just look at the industry that's that's oh, proposing oh. Oh, the rollback, yes. and mm-hmm. um, that's really the rule I follow when I'm I'm uh-huh. covering this. And for um, this rule, when they announced it, mm-hmm. one um, they they had the agriculture, the, sorry, the Farm Bureau, which was the main lobby against this water rule, and they um, they mm. were talking about how great this is for. Um, the agriculture industry for so, pig farms. Yeah, this does affect uh, pollution from farms um, as one area, but also coal and and many of the other industries we've seen the Trump administration do favors for. Um, the the main lobby was um, seemed to be the the Farm Bureau, which 
has also had a lot of influence over EPA dere deregulation. Yeah, and the runoff from these farms is significant. Yeah, we saw that in North Carolina after the hurricane. Right. So uh, this, th these are the latest proposals from EPA. Now they go out for public comment, and is that the process? What? Yeah, there's uh, so rollbacks. They, we, it seems like we're talking about them forever because they take forever. Um, so there's the draft reversal and proposal. It's subject to 60-day public comment, which isn't very long. Um, the last rule generated over a million comments, so that's not a long time at all. Then uh, once it's finalized, uh, the environmental community can sue um, and AGs. So that's when we see the lawsuits start. And you can expect lawsuits on this. Okay. Now, it's worth pointing out that this is coming out um, from EPA post Scott Pruitt. I even forget the name of the acting. Yeah, Andrew Wheeler, who's Thank been you. nominated okay. for the permanent post. All right, Andrew Wheeler. So Andrew Wheeler is proving, which we were afraid of, uh, to be as effective or maybe even more effective than certainly has not changed the policy from Scott Pruitt. Maybe more effective because he doesn't have all this personal baggage that Scott Pruitt had, right, that got him the bad publicity, which sort of may, might have cramped his style a little bit. But Andrew Wheeler, very quietly, is just doing the same stuff Scott Pruitt did, the same stuff Donald Trump wants him to do, but not generating as many headlines, right? Exactly. Um, that was the fear from the start when Pruitt yes. left, that right. his right. Uh, deputy is this technocrat with experience in the EPA who worked for Senator Inhofe, who is a former coal lobbyist. And this is someone who knows the D.C., environment. He knows how to operate under the radar. Um, you're seeing this beyond EPA at Interior, too, where uh, once well, the deputies take charge, they are much better and more effective at operating. That's what line. I was getting to, because yeah. now I'm afraid we're going to see, we've seen this movie before at EPA, we're going to see the same movie now at Interior. Pardon me, when, Rink, when Zinke goes out, horseback or not, by the end of the week, Who's going to take over and what can we expect? So um, they haven't, Trump hasn't nominated someone yet, um, but um, one very strong contender is David Bernhardt, who's the current deputy at Interior. He's very similar to Wheeler in both his background. Um, he actually, he, he checks all those boxes. He worked at Interior he, in, during the Bush administration. And he uh, also has years as a lobbyist for mm -hmm. many of the industries he now regulates. And he um, he's also very good at operating out of uh, the spotlight. He actually one one of the the main criticisms of him is how few records he keeps. So uh, environmentalists have charged that he is helping former clients. He has 22 of them that he's supposed to be recused from helping for two years. But uh, he also when when they try to get his records through freedom of information requests, um, strangely, there's not much in writing. He knows how to stay out of the spotlight, and he has, which is why um, actually months ago before Zinke um, left or was it was clear he would be leaving, uh, I took a closer look at, at Bernhardt because um, of how much control he's exerted at Interior. I remember when um, Zinke came in that there was some talk among environmentalists that this was a pretty good appointment because he was really um, very supportive of federal lands, 
land policy, you know, that was that was like his long suit because he was from Montana and everything. As as a matter of fact, it's turned out to be just the opposite, hasn't it, Wazinki? I mean, yeah. he is. He's been for more mining, more drilling, more grazing, whatever, on public lands. Uh, and yeah, like, actually, um, so and when... And not to mention the national monuments and, yeah, and national parks. Yeah, take your so, pick of what he's done. Um, Zinke, when he was nominated, when I'd ask around in the House about his record on these issues, people generally spoke highly of someone who seemed more willing than other Republicans to work across the aisle. Um, however, and, and you also saw that in his confirmation that he uh, he actually generated far more votes in favor um, for his confirmation than Bernhardt did, uh, who came in um, hmm. with mm-hmm. far more controversial record. Um, of course, that's not what we're seeing now. Um, yeah. Zinke, um, I, I think, I mean, I feel like I see this across the board in the cabinet when you see someone who's politically ambitious in the Trump administration um, some ethics have seemed to go out the window. Um, Scott Pruitt was uh, went this way too. Um, though he arrived with a far more controversial record. Um, so Zinke, uh, I guess he went from representing a district that cares about public lands to representing the Trump administration. You saw what a big swing that was. I mean, you know, to to the point where again. Uh, what the coal companies wanted, the, uh, mining other resources or whatever, drilling for oil on public lands, uh, opening a lot more of them, um, lands that had been protected, taking that protection away. And what was it? I forget. They ended up cutting three national monuments in half, including Bears Ears. Yeah, they took aim at uh, Clinton Monument and um, someone Obama uh, monuments, mm-hmm. Bears Ears was shrunk um, by, I, I believe it was 90 percent, um, some absurd number. And um, that really uh, the the Native American community that that fought for Bears Ears to be designated in the first place, that was a huge blow. And I think another major area of how Interior's been um, reshaping the, the country and um, and precedent is is the uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs and and its relationship. Um, um, you've seen that with Bernhard too, who has uh, his um, former casino clients that he's accused of still trying to help in uh, while he's at Interior. You know what I find, uh, of course, so much of what Donald Trump has done is unprecedented. But but people don't realize. I think if you look at whether it was Bill Clinton or George W. Bush or Barack Obama, the more the most recent, and there might have been others too. The one thing that, as part of their legacy, Republican or Democrat, that these presidents did was setting aside more of our most beautiful lands or for national for federal protection, permanent protection. I mean, the um, whatever that area in the Pacific Ocean that George W. Bush created, yeah, right? and Barack Obama vastly expanded yeah, it. I- yeah, but they've done the same with national monuments or expanding national parks or new national parks here. They've it seems like that's something they always want to leave behind, right? In the tradition of a Teddy Roosevelt, right? Yeah, George W. Bush doesn't not remembered for his environmental legacy. Um, he designated a bunch of monuments on his way out. Yeah, he did. But Trump, Donald Trump and under and Ryan Zinke seem to be going like in the opposite direction, undoing stuff that even. 
Republican predecessors. Look at also at Anwar. That was a Dwight Eisenhower protective measure right, to protect the uh, Nazca National Wildlife Refuge. Donald Trump wants to, I think he's already signed yeah, an executive order to allow drilling. They're in starting to explore drilling in the area and um, bringing it back to Bernhardt. He's been key to uh, not just opening Anwar, but uh, doing it as fast as possible. He's been um, signing orders saying uh, you have limits on the environmental reviews. Uh, environmental community has charged that giving them um, page limits and, and time limits on these reviews is impossible and you can't account for just the how big of a scope this will will what this will mean for wildlife in the Arctic. Um, so it's just this rush to to drill on top of everything else. Is so is the environmental movement um, how strong is it today? It, 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 they don't seem to be making as much noise as they have in the past over some issues. Maybe um, I'm just missing it, but well, yeah, I I would think um, given the way it's gone for for Prude and Zinke that that thing and and also a lot of wins in courts. Um, I think that the EPA especially. What's been done under Pruitt, a lot of it has been blocked in courts due to lawsuits uh, filed by state AGs and mm -hmm. uh, boosted by the environmental community. Um, another end of this that doesn't isn't so much about uh, the EPA, but I think you've seen this um, energy in the House uh, given after the election about um, what Democrats can really do now on climate change and uh, the environmental community. That's it's. It's not a single entity. They they tend to fight far more than um, agree on things. So you're seeing that play out in the climate debates on what the House should be doing here. But um, I think there's there has been what, new energy on this. What do you expect to see out of the Democrats in the House on the environmental front? Well, uh, I'm more cynical than most that I don't expect uh, legislation to be like a near term or even medium term possibility even if trump were to leave office in because 2020 of, because of the senate um or? yeah well the the senate makeup would certainly have to change quite mm -hmm. a bit for that to happen but uh it there will be there already are bills being introduced uh they will be uh, some of them will be messaging tactics that will influence the presidential campaign um i think these things matter um, I think the oversight that the House committees will be conducting also really matter. And you saw that with the House Natural Resources expected chairman, a Democrat, um, saying that. Who we're is gonna, that? The chair? Uh, Grijalva. And that they are going to take a look at Bernhardt uh, once Zinke leaves, mm. if, if Bernhardt's sticking around or even gets a promotion. So um, the oversight piece of this is really important, too. Um and, a, and I guess we'll see where the climate debate goes. Well, then we have, uh, shifting to the Senate, uh, a little change there where Bernie Sanders has been on the it's Energy and Environment, what, what is the yeah, committee so, called? Yeah, uh, so the Energy and Natural Resources Energy Committee. Energy and Natural Resources yeah. Committee. And he's giving up that seat? Yeah, so so Joe, he, he's on the committee still, but he uh, had the option to be ranking member. Ranking when, member, that's it, uh, right. Maria Cantwell yeah. decided to change committees. Yeah. And um, instead we saw Joe Manchin um, now get ranking member, who is probably the the least aligned with where the Democrats stand today on environmental issues. I was going to say, Joe Manchin, now is he there representing the environmentalist or the coal industry? 
Yeah, it will. I mean, he uh, is coming from West Virginia. He is uh, ostensibly the most pro-coal Democrat uh, in Congress. Absolutely. But, but he is um, it, it'll be interesting to see because he's he's certainly going to be subject to more pressure. Um, it, it it'll he doesn't have another election for six years. So he might uh, I, I, I'm curious if how and if he balances concerns from environmentalists with um, his coal interests, because he just came out of an election that he narrowly won. But he has a few years to kind of to to see that out. So we'll see. I don't think anybody has ever accused Joe Manchin of being an environmentalist. No, I no, not at all. And and <laughs> you know why? Yeah, and the fact that so why why would Schumer give him that job? Well, he was the most senior Democrat in the committee, and four other <laughs> Democrats, uh, and well, three in Sanders uh, passed on this uh, hmm. ranking membership that um, then automatically uh, goes to Manchin in terms of Senate tradition. There was a lot of pressure um, from folks like the Sunrise Movement, a group of young activists, to pressure Schumer to uh, to uh, break from tradition and appoint someone else. Um, that didn't work. Schumer announced that, he, that they're going with Manchin. Um, his hands were a bit tied on this. And now, um, I mean, in the minority, Democrats aren't necessarily... Um, the the ranking membership doesn't matter quite as much as if Joe Manchin were chair here, but uh, he certainly would become chair if Democrats got a majority. And then uh, what are Democrats going to do on climate legislation? Yeah. Well, um, there again, back to the House, they may, be, do, may do something strong there. Chances that, that would pass this senator probably zip. Um, but in, in, and in light of this, we saw last week at the follow-up summit to Paris in Poland. Yeah, the, the United States-dominant Poland. Yeah, yeah, coal-dominant <laughs> Poland. Why they held it there? I just don't get it. Unless they were trying to send Poland a message, but the United States delegation shows up in coal-dominant Poland, and what do they talk about as the solution? Right, moving coal, forward, yeah, is more coal. Yeah, right. Um, and basically got laughed out of the room. Right. Yeah, the the U.S. actually largely was negotiating in the terms of the Paris Agreement and and agreed to this this deal in the end. So you see this like conflict in the Trump administration of of how of course Trump and the political appointees don't want this, but the the best tactical move is to negotiate and not not be the um, only country in the world that is standing against climate action. So um, the the U.S. joined Saudi Arabia and Russia in uh, blocking the adoption of a climate science report. Um, it also hosted a side coal event. So some of this stuff was just theatrics. It wasn't mm -hmm. as instrumental to the outcome of this conference. But um, at the end of the day, it's it's you you wonder why are they even bothering doing this? It's it it makes the U.S. a laughing stock. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rebecca, thanks for coming in. And keep your eye on Andrew Wheeler at EPA and Mr. Bernhardt, David Bernhardt at, at, yep. uh, at Interior. Uh, and uh, they may be not attracting as many headlines, but they can still do as much damage. And so uh, we, got, we depend on you as the watchdog.
Yeah, thanks. <laughs> All right, at Mother Jones, motherjones.com. Meanwhile, with the ACA, at least one judge saying uh, it is over, unconstitutional, get rid of it. What goes on now? What happens now with uh, health care and Obamacare? Alice Olstein from uh, Politico, Politico, health reporter for Politico, joins us next year. We'll take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we are on a Tuesday, December 18, uh, the Bill Press Show. Washington, D.C. is where we start out. And our studio on Capitol Hill, uh, joining you everywhere in this great land of ours, online, on the radio, and on television, and brought to you today by the United, or the International Association of Iron Workers. Yes, indeed. Iron Workers of America, under the leadership of President Eric Dean, building our communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. Check out their website at ironworkers.com. Dot org. Uh, joining us now from Politico, Alice Olstein covers health care issues. And boy, a lot to talk about on that front these days. Alice, it's nice to see you. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks so much. much. Thanks for coming in. Um, we've uh, been storming, pardon me, storming away here through the headlines of the day for the last hour and a half um, with uh, comments you're pummeling us from all different directions, Peter. Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at BP Show. At BP Show, uh, you were just talking with Rebecca Lieber about Ryan Zinke. Uh, Raymond says Ryan Zinke <laughs> will be leaving Washington, being dragged by his horse, not riding out <laughs> on his horse. Yeah, belt. yeah right. Uh, you talked about Sherrod Brown uh, with John Allen. Holly Tooker says Sherrod Brown is needed in a blue Senate. Electing him to uh, as president means there could be a Republican senator in Ohio. Just putting that out there. Uh, I I know there's that's always a people raise that argument sometimes uh, often about anybody moving up or leaving. But sometimes, you know, in the greater good, he could do more good in the White House than he can in the Senate. Yeah, for sure. Uh, also, we were talking about the story of uh, Goldstein, this uh, uh, military member that Donald Trump wants to the, help. Yeah, who? Right. Uh, get him out of Former trouble. Green Beret. Uh, Techie says that uh, Goldstein actually applied for a job in the CIA, and that is how the incident has resurfaced. Oh. We we're wondering where this came uh, from. Okay, yeah. That's part of the story, uh, which is interesting, it's, to it, say the least. It is. It's still a very troubling story. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you have a comment on any topic at any time, just find us on Twitter at BP Show. Right. Agree or disagree, we love uh, hearing from you uh, on Twitter at BP Show. Yes. So, um, Alice, this decision about the ACA, what is the current status, first of all, of the ACA? Is it still in effect or not? Yes. Even the Trump administration has confirmed that it is still in effect. What the judge says is it will become unconstitutional on January 1st when the mandate penalty goes away. That will render everything else unconstitutional, and states can then decide not to enforce it. So... What the blue states defending the law are trying mm. to do and what they started f- filing in court last night is to be able to appeal this and ask the judge either stay your mm-hmm. ruling yeah, <laughs> pending right, the appeal, right. and the appeal could take months, years <clears throat> potentially to work its way through the courts, or um, clarify that you don't mean this to go into effect right away. So either let us appeal it and stay till we can appeal it, or 
clarify that you don't mean this to go into effect right away. Now, you say that the mandate um, goes away effective January 1. Right. The, uh, by the mandate penalty. Mandate so penalty. Starting so next year. By executive yes. order, right? No, by Congress. Congress um, did pass that. Okay. Congress passed that, was that as part, part of, of the, the tax, tax bill. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And so the irony here is that the judge is saying that Congress never intended the law to survive without the mandate. And I was running around the Senate last night asking Republican lawmakers, did you intend for the whole Affordable Care Act to uh, be struck down when you voted to get rid of the mandate? And they said, no, we we didn't. Um, We were just trying to get rid of the mandate because people didn't like the mandate. So who's this judge? very conservative judge at a district court in Texas. And um, I think what the focus should be on now is the Fifth Circuit, where this is likely headed. uh, On appeal. On appeal. So the Fifth Circuit was already pretty conservative, but there are five newly installed Trump-appointed judges there uh um, out of 16, and there's one uh, vacancy still. So, um, I mean, Uh, Just so everybody understands, who brought this lawsuit? Um, who, who are the parties in this lawsuit? Republican attorneys general. Twenty, including Wisconsin. Yes. Right. Which, Although now Wisconsin wants to get out of it because yeah, they elected right, a Democratic right. attorney general. Um, but these uh, power grabby <laughs> bills that Scott Walker just signed on his way out the door may uh, make that challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether or not Wisconsin can drop the lawsuit. Uh, All right. But so regardless. after passage of the Affordable Care Act, just yes. want to make sure everybody understands. Then these are. Uh, attorney generals from four, I mean, from red states who um, where they were hoping Congress would repeal the Affordable Care Act when they didn't, Mm -hmm. they decided to go this way and challenge, um, well, the act itself, right, but the individual mandate. Mm -hmm. But also, is this the same suit that challenges the protections for pre-existing conditions? Yes. So the... The Republican states and who brought the case, they're arguing that because of the individual mandates repeal, the entire law with all of its protections, pre-existing conditions, Medicaid expansion, yeah. staying on your parents' plan until you're 26, a drug price help for seniors on Medicare, all of it has to go. The Trump administration, instead of defending a federal law, which is what the Justice Department normally does, decided to side with the states attacking the law in part. They said, you don't have to get rid of the entire law. You just have to get rid of the protections for pre-existing conditions and some of those consumer protections. The reason for that is Obamacare was supposed to be this package deal for insurers. It was saying, we're going to force you to Mm -hmm. take everyone, no matter how sick they are and expensive they are, to care for. But in order to make it not completely unaffordable for you, the insurers, we're going to have this mandate that encourages and pressures uh, healthy people and young people to sign up too. That way you have a healthy mix in your risk pool and all the costs are shared between people. And so it was it was supposed to be a package deal. Congress did get rid of one key piece of it, but we've seen the rest of the law survive pretty well without that. Right, right. Uh, I just I know it's um, maybe some people consider it a waste of time, but I think it's worth just taking a pause here to point out that this whole concept of keeping the insurance companies in the game, so not, not a single payer approach or anything, or getting rid of it, keeping them in the game by putting some requ- new requirements on them in terms of what they would cover and what they wouldn't but also making everybody buy their insurance 
is a deal that was originally structured by the Heritage Foundation, the conservative think tank in Washington, D.C., as a private enterprise, private sector sort of approach. Piloted by Romney care. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and picked up Mm -hmm. by Republican Governor Mitt Romney in Massachusetts, who put it into play. So Mm -hmm. this is a Republican free enterprise concept from the very beginning that once President Obama adopted it, then they turned against it because he liked that they had to dislike it or they had to try to and now, cancel it. So and now I mean I'm sure Donald Trump doesn't completely... understand that history of it, but if you sure. want if you want the free enterprise approach to healthcare as opposed to the Bernie Sanders approach, it's Obamacare. They're idiots. They're idiots. They don't understand it. So uh, they couldn't get it through Congress, the repeal, so now they go to the to the judge and they finally found a judge somewhere in the country who was willing to go along with them. Uh, okay, so people who may be sitting on the sidelines would, uh, I think, legitimately raise the question, wait a minute, didn't the Supreme Court already decide this? The Supreme Court upheld the Affordable Care Act twice now. Well, so what the hell is this local judge doing going against the Supreme Court? It's not going against the Supreme Court. It's, this, is, this is a new line of argument that has to play out through the federal courts. Yeah. Um, a lot of people think this is not going any further than the Fifth Circuit, but I mean, we've seen stranger things. We've, I mean, I don't think you can count anything out. I don't think you can count out this going all the way to the Supreme Court eventually. You could, again. But, but the Supreme Court still has the same folks that voted to uphold the Affordable Care Act before. F- the five th- that did, right. Mm-hmm. Even though we now have Neil Gorsuch uh, and um, Brett Kavanaugh on the court, two new members on the court, that doesn't change the fact that the five who voted to uphold the individual mandate before and the, and the entire Affordable Care Act were the four progressives and Justice John Roberts. Right, exactly. And so, but that doesn't mean that ho-hum, this means nothing. Um, this the timing of this ruling on the very the eve of the final day of open enrollment seemed almost designed to cause maximal chaos and confusion. The last day of open enrollment is the day when a lot of people sign up. Of course, everyone, you know, psychologically mm-hmm. just waits till the end. And it is one of the biggest enrollment days. And so to throw into doubt whether the law still exists um, is is really um, is open enrollment still underway. It is in some states, but not the federal, not the healthcare doc of that that has closed. Right, that closed on Saturday. Uh, what did we? Um, the last time I saw the numbers were were down this year again. Yeah, right, understandably because they did no publicity about the fact that now's the time to sign up. You want to protect your family? You can sign up. Boom, boom, boom. Here's the deadline. They they either eliminated that whole publicity campaign or or, or severely cut the funding for it. Uh, plus, with all the controversy about uh, even before this judge's ruling, right. is the act going to survive or not, mm-hmm. that some people turned away. So what do we know about enrollment levels, or do we know yet? We're waiting for the final numbers. Those should come out tomorrow um, on Wednesday. So that's that's when we'll know um, what the final count is. And again, the, the last few days are really key. So mm-hmm. up until last week, we saw that the numbers were a bit depressed. And I think that can be attributed to a lot of different things. Definitely the lack of um, federal outreach and 
And advertising about open enrollment is a key factor. The Trump administration cut 90% of the budget for that. But I think also it just hasn't been in the news as much. When open enrollment Mm -hmm. began in November, it was the midterm elections and all the attention was on that. Now that we're at the end of open enrollment, all the attention is on, is there going to be a shutdown and did Blaine get indicted and all of this stuff. And so it just hasn't been the top story in the news. Last year, when the same cuts and changes from the Trump administration could have hurt open enrollment, it was a huge news story, and that really helped people be aware of it. So um, we'll see if maybe this judge's ruling has one of those effects where, yes, it could scare away some people, but it could also remind people that the Affordable Care Act is here and under threat and maybe encourage folks to sign up. And they have to renew. They have to renew every year, right? Under yes. Obamacare. Although there is an auto renewal, so af- if if you're on a plan and you want to keep it, you can get auto enrolled um, after the deadline. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see how many people that sweeps up as well. That's why it's important to wait for the final numbers. All right. And then in some states that are running their own exchanges. Um, and have longer deadlines and are pouring lots of money into outreach and encouraging people to sign up, they're seeing bigger numbers than before. So enrollment is actually up in those states. What, what are what are those? I mean, we used to always talk about Kentucky as having kind of the model plan, which uh, the new governor of Kentucky, I think, ended, scuttled. So what are the states that have their best and, and the most active state plans now? Well, is California one? Yeah, California does a lot, and, and New York, and some of these very big states with big populations. And so that could really sway the final numbers, which is why we're, mm. we're all waiting. Um, and those numbers won't come out for several more weeks because they have a longer deadline than the rest of the country. And California has already said, uh, Governor, I mean, Attorney General uh, Javier Becerra, mm-hmm. as well as Governor Jerry Brown, that they're going to fight this latest uh, judge's ruling because yes. California really, first of all, it's a great system under uh, HHS Secretary Diana Dooley out there. Um, and uh, there are millions and millions of people who are taking advantage of it either through Medicaid or through the state plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they could lose massive amounts of funding for California. Absolutely. for repeal. Definitely. And I, I, just, I just can't emphasize enough. A lot of people think, oh, this won't affect me. I'm not, quote unquote, on Obamacare. And when people say that, they mean I'm not on the individual market or I'm not on Medicaid expansion. But almost everyone is on Obamacare in one form or another. It just it affects every part of our health care system. And to suddenly have that gutted out judicially would just cause maximum havoc. How does it impact people? This is important for our listeners and viewers to know, I think. How will it impact you if you're not on Obamacare? Higher premiums, or it, it could be or. so many things. It's 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 a lot of behind the scenes things. <laughs> Hospital payment rates. Um, the fact that you can on whatever private plan you're on, go get your annual preventative checkup, and that's free with no copay. Women no getting contraception free with no copay. Right. Um, women not being charged more um, with their premiums just for being a woman. That's part of Obamacare. Just all of these things we Chuck take Schumer mentioned for granted. Op- opioid prescription drug prices yes. uh, kind of across the board, right? Absolutely, yeah. yes. Um, and so, so what the hell are they doing by trying to get rid of this? And with with a massive well, sweep like that, do they rec- causing a lot of panic? Because I think a lot of Republicans um, who you know cheered for so long the idea of repealing Obamacare. I, I mean, I I can't tell you how many <laughs> flacks and and uh, pundits I've heard refer to Republicans as the dog that caught the car. They've been chasing this car of Obamacare repeal for so long, and now a judge says, "Okay, here you go." And 
it's it, they don't know what to do about it. And running around Congress last night asking, does Congress need a backup plan, a contingency plan? And everyone's like, oh, no, 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 no. This will just, you know, go yeah. away in the courts. And so there's they're, they're sort hoping. of counting on the courts to bail them out. The very well, courts that they've confirmed a lot of um, very conservative justice judges. So let's go back to where you started with um, there are the judges ruling is now being challenged yes. by so who, who are the people on the other side who's it's it's Becerra and the other um, Democratic attorneys Democratic General. attorneys general okay so the house wants to join them next year when Democrats right. take over yeah well they have to wait a couple of weeks sure but they're gonna do it and they will of course they will but so they are starting right now to issue these requests to the judge for yes. a stay or whatever yes, they right? did last night uh, mm -hmm. how long before they're decided and if not then how long would it go to the Fifth Circuit it, it, it's up to the judge. The judge has set a um, a meeting oh. for early January to try to hash all of this out. But the, the blue states are asking for more clarity ahead of that because they want to make sure people know you can still enroll. This is not going mm -hmm. anywhere. You still have your health care. It doesn't go away tomorrow. So they're asking the judge to, you know, issue a clarifying statement. Well, particularly because this um, uh, other ruling, the, the, the Trump ruling on the uh, on, on the fine mm -hmm. right takes impact is it takes effect which one january one that trump or you oh, the don't get fined for the mandate yes and yes. then and the judge's ruling itself takes effect january one so he's going to have to decide yeah. before the first of the year exactly one would think right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh and then if he says okay it's appealed to the fifth i, I guess what my point is that this appeal as you point out could take months right yes. so if the or judge years. or years right to go all the way to the supreme court yes so this could be then the kind of deciding issue in 2020 Absolutely. for Republicans, and that's already a big fear. <laughs> I mean, fear on their part. Oh, yeah, yes, this of is course. the last thing they want to have to deal with. Exactly. You, if 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 the final say and the final boom falling and people losing their health care, tens of millions of people losing their health insurance comes right in the middle of 2020. Right in the middle and of President Trump's election campaign. There's no Trump's way they could blame campaign. this on Democrats. I mean, well, they may try. I, I want to be <laughs> careful there. Try. Of course, they'll try. But I mean, it, it would be difficult. We know who brought the it lawsuit. It will be difficult when we know who brought the lawsuit exactly. and who has been preaching and repeal of Obamacare since mm -hmm. Obamacare was first proposed. Right, and I think that that's why the House um, swiftly voting to intervene in the lawsuit and argue in defense of Obamacare is both politically important and practically important. It's politically important because then Democrats can concretely point and say, look, we're fighting to protect your health care, your pre-existing pre conditions, et cetera. It's practically important because the judge's reasoning hinges on what was Congress's intent. Did Congress intend the whole law to fall with the fall of the individual mandate? And the House counsel can go argue, no, we did not. We debated repealing the entire Affordable Care Act many, many times. And we never got it done. Right. They chose not to do it. Uh, I just want to say in the headline of the New York Times this morning, uh, one analysis here is the headline is Republicans may regret new ruling on CARE Act. Right. Just as you've been pointing out. Right. Uh, another headline. States ask federal judge to continue the health law. Yes. Which is what you were just uh, reporting on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was looking for the headline. I don't see it here. But meanwhile, uh, Donald Trump. Is telling everybody, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna have, uh, this is not a problem because we're gonna have a beautiful new 
health care plan. And, uh, and a couple, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> Does he have any idea? Do they have a plan? Well, he's, no, no, they do not have a plan. And the Trump administration, <laughs> before the ruling came out, um, said we have a contingency plan for this court case. And they who, who said that? Seema Verma, the CMS administrator, oh, yeah. said, told reporters, don't worry, mm-hmm. we have a contingency plan. The ruling has come down. People have been asking, what is it? <laughs> and we're not hearing one. And, and we have sources saying there really isn't one. And they weren't anticipating this sweeping a ruling. They were anticipating maybe a ruling striking down a piece of Obamacare, but not the entire law. It was just the other night at the congressional ball that Donald Trump was talking about this. But I remember back in 2016 mm-hmm. in the in the in his campaign, he kept saying, we're going to repeal Obamacare. We're going to replace it with something beautiful. Right? Well, that's what Congress said for many. I mean, the Republican House said that for many years prior to that. Um, and just for all of that time and all of the time since, there's been no single replacement plan that they've been able to agree on. They only agree on repeal. Right. Um, there's a lot of competing ideas of how to replace, but none that could ever muster the votes. The re- you mentioned that the White House has intervened on behalf of the attorneys general. Mm-hmm. Has Congress? No, which is what the House, the Democratic House, wants to do next year. And but, Schumer right. wants to do but it in the, the Senate, re- but, but they won't mm, have the votes. But meanwhile, among Republicans right. w- with control of the House and the Senate, they haven't been part of this lawsuit? No, they have not. And uh, they are opposed in the Senate to going along with Schumer's call for a vote to intervene to defend the ACA. Isn't one of the things that we're learning as part of this, um, first of all, <laughs> that health care, I think Republicans may have learned the hard way, that uh, health care is a pretty popular issue, isn't it? I mean, for people, it right down to it, that we all live sort of one health crisis away from mm-hmm. bankruptcy, right? And it could happen to you, to your kid, to your spouse, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and people recognize it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican. That's a that's a real legitimate fear. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen it happen to so many people. So that health care in itself, having that protection for your family, is something people now I think have come to expect, right? Or maybe and yeah. and and, 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 and accept shown. and accept that the government has some role in making that and helping that us realize that goal. Definitely. And I think the polling on that is clear. And I think that's evident in the most recent election. Democrats lost several election cycles as with, over voter anger over Obamacare's passage. Um, but now that all the provisions are in effect and people are experiencing the benefits, it's just really swung the other way. And people just don't like change. I mean, <laughs> they punished Democrats in 2010 for massively changing the health care system. And they punished Republicans in 2018 for trying to change it back. Um, they don't like change. And so they really aren't going to like this lawsuit if, <laughs> if it goes anywhere. Uh, it is ironic that what was the number one issue uh, helping Republicans may now become may now have become oh, the absolutely. number one issue uh, hurting them. And I was started to ask. I have is something else that we've learned is that with government, these government programs, so criticized in the beginning, mm-hmm. starting with Social Security, and Medicare, mm-hmm. and Medicaid, uh, socialized medicine, whatever they called them in the beginning, but once they're in place and people start to benefit from the protections that they provide. It's awfully hard to get rid of them. 
Definitely. And of course, there's always trade-offs. And there have been people who have experienced big price increases, mostly the unsubsidized people in the individual market. They've really been hammered. And so it's not all positive and no downsides. Nothing ever is. Um, But like you said, all of these people who were not able to have insurance before this, people with pre-existing conditions in the private market, for instance, people who made too much for traditional Medicaid, but were still very poor and couldn't afford even the cheapest plan um, in states with Medicaid expansion, they've been able to get covered. So um, yes, people across the country um, are are very anxious about the, the impact of this ruling. Yeah. Well, we're going to know very soon what this judge does and then where it goes from here. Meanwhile, don't panic. Uh, everything is still in place, at least for now. Alice Holstein from Politico, politico.com. Thanks so much, Alice, Thank for you. coming in. Hey, folks, have a great, great Tuesday. And then uh, come back and see us again tomorrow because you this know we'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show.